And I'm excited to be uh, continuing our series in Daniel, and we're kind of just see. last week going through going through uh, the book of Daniel. We've been all summer long. We've been going through the book of Daniel, and what we've been looking at, we've been tracing God's people in exile, the story of God's people in exile. And I'm excited that we're going to be uh, finishing. Uh, up that over the next couple weeks, and we're starting this week the, Daniel's last vision that he receives uh, in, in the story of Daniel. We're going to be breaking it up into two parts, so this week I'll take the first part of, of Daniel's last vision, and then last week, or next week Justin is going to kind of wrap up the series by looking at the, the last few verses of Daniel, the last few verses of Daniel's last vision, okay? So that's where we're, that's where we're going. Let me pray for us, and then we'll, then we'll jump into to the Word this morning in Daniel, chapter 10 and 11. If you have your Bible, you can Start thinking about flipping to Daniel chapter 10. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we ask that you would guide our hearts, that you would guide our minds as we look at your word, and that as we look at your word, even some confusing and some hard and some challenging things in your word, uh, that you would bring life by the power of your spirit through your word. You would bring life where there's death, uh, where you would bring light where there's darkness. And we, we know that you can do that because you're sovereign and you're a good God, and because you have raised Jesus from the dead for our sake and for our, for our salvation. So we, we commit this time to you uh, in Jesus' name. We pray this in, in Christ's name. Amen. All righty. So Daniel chapter 10. As you're flipping there, let me tell you a story. Uh, when I was, I was growing up, when I was in high school, I did a lot of hunting with my dad. And uh, when, uh, one, one day, I, I, one, one time we were out hunting, we were caribou hunting. I was 15 years old. We were hunting with my, <clears throat> my dad and my dad's uh, friend, and we were successful. My dad's friend shot a caribou. We were up in the mountains. Uh, and, uh, we, but it was late at night by the time he shot this, this caribou. So, and by the time we got it all skinned out, we were packing. We had our packs loaded. We were heading back to our camp. Uh, and it was dark and getting Darker, okay? So imagine the mountains as, as it's getting darker and darker and darker. And I'm 15 at that point. I'm a lot younger than my dad and his friend. We, uh, and so I decided, well, I'm going to go off ahead. These guys are walking slow. I'm going to go off ahead uh, of these guys. Uh, as it's getting darker and darker, I think for sure I can find my way back to camp. Uh, and so I go off ahead, and I get maybe 100 yards ahead of them, and, and we hear the howling of wolves in the, middle of, uh, in the middle of the mountains. And I look back at my dad, I'm like, is that wolves? Uh, and he's like, yeah, that's wolves. And uh, so I'm like, ah, oh, that's fine, I'll, I'll keep going. Uh, and so I go off ahead, I keep going ahead of, these, uh, ahead of them, and remember I've got like a, a backpack full of bloody meat on my back and uh, that smells just great to wolves, I'm sure. Uh, so I get off uh, uh, just so I can barely even see my dad uh, that far away. Uh, and then I see in the distance these dark, shadowy figures running back and forth, five or six of them or so. And at that point, like, my heart begins to race. I'm like, am I being hunted right now? Like, uh, and uh, I, I don't know what's, what's going on. And so at that point, as, and, and, and with every step, it's getting darker and darker and darker. And with every step, I realize I'm not really sure exactly how to get back to camp after all. I don't really, and, um, and that story, this story has kind of become an analogy for me as I've, as I've grown up and as I've experienced more of the world because uh, this world is an increasingly, it's like the mountains at... And in the night, it's an increasingly dark place. And as our world gets darker and darker, uh, whether it be on a global scale or whether it be in our, in our personal lives, uh, as our world gets darker, you and I, we need wisdom that we do not possess on our own. And what we've also seen is that this is a, a, a central idea in the book of Daniel itself. 
Daniel's world and the, and the world of the 6th century B.C. is an increasingly darkening world. The, 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 the people of, of Judah have been exiled into Babylon and then, and then into and to Persia. And, but as the light of God's plan for salvation and the, and the people of, of God was, was going out, Daniel and his friends, who were aided by God, uh, have been seen throughout the book of Daniel. What we've seen is that they have been lights of wisdom, little pockets of of, of wisdom in an increasingly dark world. And when we pick up in at Daniel's last vision uh, in Daniel chapter 10, we see this, this theme, that this world is dark and it's getting darker. Uh, and uh, this, is what we, uh, this is what we see in Daniel 10 verse 1. We see, in the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, remember uh, after Babylon had fell, after Nebuchadnezzar fell, they fell to the Persians, to Cyrus of Persia the Persian, and, um, uh, and it's now the third year, so three years into Cyrus's reign, a message was received to Daniel. Now, normally we read little references like that and just skip over them, not important little historical detail, but actually this is really important. The third year of, of Cyrus's reign, what happened in the first year of Cyrus's reign was that he issued a decree to allow all the Jews to go back to their homeland. So, in some sense, this was good news. The exile, the 70 years that Jeremiah prophesied, the exile was over. This was supposed to be a happy time. The Jews could return to their homeland. The people of God can return to this. Uh, he could feel this darkness. So we pick up in verse 2. He says, In those days, Daniel, I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. I didn't eat any rich food, no meat no, or wine entered my mouth, and I didn't pull, put any oil on my body, uh, which is just a cultural way of saying he was mourning, for, for, for th- until the three weeks were over. So in response to the darkness of, that he's facing, he's fasting and he's lamenting the suffering of his people. And this is the context. This is important for us to remember. This is the context for the final vision, the, the vision that he's about to, to receive. The world is dark, and it feels like it's getting even darker. Now, I want to pause here before we go, because maybe you know something of the darkness that Daniel's experiencing. Now, I know you're not a 6th century Jew, uh, but maybe the darkness of sin this morning is hanging over your hearts. The guilt and weight of, of, of mistakes that you've made, of things that you've done, even this week, clouds your souls. You've done things that, that, rack, uh, that rack your conscience, the way you've treated others, the thoughts and the fantasies that you've entertained. Or maybe the darkness of anxiety or loneliness is gripping you this morning. Maybe there's a relationship that, that strains, that weighs on you, or for financial concerns that, that stress you out, that strain on your heart. And the question for you and I, the question of the book of Daniel in this last vision is, how do you and I live wisely? How do we access the wisdom that we need to live in an increasingly darkening world? And what, we're, what we see is, uh, what, what we're going to see is that uh, in Daniel chapter 10, we see the answer to this question. How do you and I live wisely in an increasingly darker world? And what, we're, what we start by, uh, by seeing is Daniel spends an, the entire first chapter looking at the messenger of this vision. And that's important because we have to ask, why spend so much time describing the messenger the one who brings this messenger. Nowhere else in the book of Daniel does, does he spend this much time uh, describing the messenger. And that's one of the two. Okay, so this is uh, the messenger. Uh, this is the messenger. His, um, first, his, 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 uh, 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 and there's a couple of things worth noting. First, his, his uh, clothing and his appearance... 
Don't, yeah, his clothing and his appearance are, are, are like both a king and a priest, okay? So he's wearing a linen, he's wearing a, 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 the clothes of a linen like a priest, but then at the same time, he's got a gold belt and the majestic brilliance of a king. Now, nowhere in the, in the, in the vision does it say he has wings or he's flying, but this is the best thing I could find on Google Images. So, so kind of erase that part of your, uh, from, from, from the image, okay? This is, uh, this is the image that Daniel is Stuck with, and it's, it's a description that sounds very similar to a couple other passages in the scripture that are super important to keep in mind. The first is Ezekiel one, and then also in Revelation one, where God's messengers they, they bring visions to to God's prophets, and they're described in very similar terms. And in both of those passages, what's important to understand is that uh, in those passages, this messenger is representing the power and presence of God Himself. Okay, in Revelation one, it's actually Jesus. Uh, is, is described in this way. So, uh, uh, but so they're, they're representing God Himself. So, what's the deal? Is Daniel here in, in, in Daniel chapter ten? Is he seeing God? Is he seeing a pre-incarnate Jesus? Is he seeing an, an angel? And the, the short answer is, we really don't know. We don't know who this messenger is. He's never identified. Uh, but whoever he is, he's meant to represent the presence and the staggering majesty of God Himself. And so, just look at the effect that he has on. Um, on, uh, on Daniel, uh, in, picking up again in verse 7. So actually everybody, when everybody uh, who is with Daniel, they run off, they leave Daniel all by himself because they're so terrified. And then Daniel says this, No strength was left in me. My face grew deathly pale and I was powerless. I heard the words he said and when I heard them, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Okay, so just the sound and sets him on his feet. And then keep reading, verse 15. While he was saying these, things, these words to me, I turned uh, my face toward the ground and was speechless, suddenly one with human likeness. Or you could translate that phrase as one like the Son of Man, which is a phrase that we saw describing uh, uh, Jesus in, in, in Daniel chapter 7. Touched my lips, opened my mouth, and said to the one standing in front of me, My Lord, because of the, of the, of the vision... Uh, because of the vision, anguish overwhelms me, and I am powerless. How can someone like me, your servant, speak with someone like you, my Lord? Now I have no strength, and there is no breath in me. Then the one with the human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. He said, Don't be afraid, you who are treasured by God. Peace to you. Be very strong. As he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Do you sense the incredible contrast between these two descriptions of this messenger that's been sent to Daniel? On the one hand, he's tremendously terrifying. He's, uh, uh, you would pass out just to hear his voice. But then on the other hand, his touch is gentle, and he softly restores Daniel, strengthening him to hear this message. So I want to go back to our question. Why spend so much time uh, it, describing this encounter. Uh, with, we've just kind of skimmed over it, but it's, he spends 20-something verses describing this encounter. And the answer, I believe, is this. In order to navigate the darkening world of Daniel's day, God's people needed to directly encounter the God who possesses both staggering power and a strengthening presence. So you see, only this full, all-consuming, majestic, yet gentle vision of God would be able to sustain them through the suffering that they were facing. And the same thing is true for you and I today. Our hearts and minds, you and I, must be gripped by God's staggering power and His strengthening presence. 
So I want you to think back. In what areas of your life Jesus uh, himself, who, who became sin for our sake and experienced suffering for our sake, this is the God of the gospel. So, what, so I want you to think about whatever area of, of your life is clouded by darkness and ask yourself, where is God in the midst of your darkness? And then what could it look like for you to invite the God of staggering power and of strengthening presence into that darkness? And to wisely navigate the darkest moments of our lives, we need to encounter this God. All right, so uh, we're... Halfway through this, 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 uh, we're already a whole chapter in to the to this vision. We haven't even gotten into the content of what he's, of what the vision is actually about. Okay, uh, and we're over halfway through the sermon. So just so you know, we're going to kind of blitz through what's the actual content of this vision. I want to give you a summary of of what's going on. Uh, this the, in chapter eleven, he gets into the vision, and this is this is basically what it says. It's going to get a lot worse before it gets any better. So the world is dark, and it's going to get even darker before it gets any better. And I'm going to warn you, it's going to, we're going to take a really hard left turn here. That's what happens in, in Daniel chapter 11. It's a confusing, weird passage. Uh, it's going to sound like a little bit like a history lesson for a second, but that's, that's what we have in, in Scripture. So, uh, so in the first few verses, in verses 2 through 4, what we see, and you can find this outline in the, in the bulletin insert in, uh, if, you, if you grabbed one uh, as you go. In the first few verses, in Daniel 11, 2 through 4, we see the rise of Alexander the Great. Okay, that's right, the Alexander the Great. Uh, he's mentioned in Scripture. So uh, he, this is what he says. He says, now I, the, this is the, the, the divine messenger. He says, now I will tell you the truth. Three more kings will arise in Persia, and the fourth will be far richer than the others. And by the power he gains through his riches, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Then a warrior king will arise. He will rule a vast realm and do whatever he wants. But as, 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 soon, as, he, uh, uh, but as soon as he is established, his kingdom will be broken up and divided to the four winds of heaven, but not to his descendants. Okay? So, uh, damn the two of these kingdoms, specifically it's the kingdom, uh, the, em- the empires known as the Seleucid Empire and the Ptolemaic Empire, uh, which is basically Egypt and, and Syria. And in Daniel, it's referred to as the kings of the north and the kings of the, the south. And, and, and uh, that's, so north would be Syria, the king of the north would be the kings of Syria, and then the, or the, the Seleucids, and then the king of south, the south, which is, would be the kings of the pharaohs of Egypt, or the kings of Egypt, sorry, the Greek kings of Egypt. Uh, um, or the kings of the Ptolemies, okay? And, 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 um, and you can read for 16 verses all the battles and the political intrigue that goes on between these two specific kingdoms. Uh, there's treaties that are formed and marriages that are aligned and battles that are won and specific places that are mentioned. And, and scholars like non-Christian, non-biblical scholars have been amazed at the accuracy of these two prophecies. Daniel records 13 specific kings over the course of 160 years or so. So it's an incredibly accurate, uh, it's an incredibly accurate and it's a unique prophecy in Scripture. But what the, what the main thing, the, the really important thing for us to remember is that uh, um, the, right in between these two empires, you can see on, on the map, right in between the green and the orange there, is the land of Israel. So all the battles, all the struggles, all the plagues and the destruction and the, and the chaos that was, that was occurring between these two battles was happening right in Daniel's homeland, right in the heart of the people of, uh, of, of God's uh, country. And Daniel refers to this as the beautiful land in the prophecy. And so the point is, uh, that the point for Daniel, as he and the original readers of this 
this prophecy, this vision would have felt is a bunch of horrible, chaotic, terrible forms of destruction and violence and suffering is about to come to, to, our, to our homeland. So it's bad in Daniel's day. The, the exile is supposed to be over, but it's not. But what this angel wants Daniel to know is that it's going to get a whole lot worse before it gets any better. Okay, so that's a five through twenty holy covenant. So he's going to show favoritism to those who traitors, those who abandon the the, uh, the, the covenant with God and His people. Uh, uh, his forces will rise up and desecrate the temple fortress. That's the temple in Jerusalem. They're going to de- abolish the regular sacrifice and set up abomination of desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who act wickedly toward the covenant. But the people who know their God will be strong and take action. Those who have insight among the people will will give understanding to many. Yet they will fall by the sword and flame and they will be captured and plundered for a time. So this king of the north, this final king would be the pinnacle of the forces of darkness raging against God's people and you can read more about this guy in, in First and Second Maccabees which are historical books uh, that are not, not a part of the Bible. Uh, and what he does is specifically he kills the high priest, he sets up statues for Greek gods in the temple, he sacrifices pigs in the temple, he forces the Jewish leaders to eat pork, which was a violation of, of, the, of, of, the, of the law, would have been a huge uh, tragic violation of their, of their, um, of their consciences. Uh, and he, he became in history for the Jewish people the embodiment of evil itself. But then, as bad as this guy was, as bad as his final king of the north was, it actually gets even worse, beginning in about verse 36. In verses 36 through 45, we see, uh, we see Daniel describe a deeper darkness still to come. A deeper darkness still to come. So, one who will actually surpass the darkness of Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, and, and, and these prophecies, as you're reading through, they kind of get blurred together like mountains in a mountain range. So, if you've ever looked across the inlet and like seen, uh, seen Redoubt and Iliamna and stuff, you see all sorts of mountains there, and they all look like on the same plane at a distance. So uh, they all look like they're right there. Ili- uh, Redoubt looks like it's right, right there. But in reality, there's like 20 or 30 miles in between some of these mountains, but they all look right there, like they're right, right on the same plane, but they're actually stretched out. There's actually a lot of distance between them. And that's the same thing that's kind of going on. And has been, uh, what, he has, what has been decreed will be accomplished. He will not show regard for the gods of his ancestors, the god desired by women, or for uh, any other god, because he will magnify himself above all. He will invade countries and sweep through them like a flood. He will also invade the beautiful land, the land of Israel, and many will fall. And it goes on, uh, it keeps going on from there, okay? So this is what the Bible says about Daniel's future. But this is also what the Bible says about what is coming in our future. The Bible looks back on this this horrible reign, the king of the north, this Antiochus IV uh, Epiphanes, uh, this, who did horrible things to the Jewish people in the second century B.C. And he says the same thing is coming, but on an even greater scale for the people of God before Christ returns. And I think, in, in you and I, I think as we study, so what's the, what's the takeaways from this? Like, how do, we, how do we reckon with this? What are we supposed to make, make of this? What's the point of all of this in the Scripture? I think one of the, one of the main things is that we as followers of Jesus, we need to recognize that this is the trajectory of our world. That the world is not becoming better and more progressive and more advanced and more peaceful. Right? The, 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 the ethos of our day, the messages of our day, is that every day and in every way we are getting better and better. Right? We're being happier, healthy, safer, smarter, richer. That's what progress and, and science and progressive ideals are leading to. 
All right, that's the air we breathe. We can be so confident in human nature and the human spirit that things are just inevitably getting better. But that simply does not jive with Scripture, nor does it jive with history, right? The 20th century, supposedly the most advanced, progressive century in history, was the bloodiest century ever. And every day we find new and better ways of killing each other. We are a society that increasingly devalues the sanctity of human life at every stage, uh, and this is leading to incredible amounts of death, and suffering at almost every point in our society, uh, the, the superpower, every uh, the, the globe, one of the world's global superpowers is uh, even the forces of the Antichrist are working against God and His people. So this is what he writes. He says, "Children, it is the last hour." That was 2,000 years ago when this was written. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. So we're already in the last hour. Many antichrists have already come. This is the spirit of the age. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what's, uh, what our world is. And, and here's what that means for us. Christians of any age, we need to be aware that there are forces with tremendous power actively seeking to draw us away from faith in Jesus. Okay? So, that's, so the messenger, we've seen the messenger, staggering power, strengthening presence. We've just seen the message. It's going to get a lot worse before it gets any better. That's true for Daniel. That's true for us. Now I want to close by looking at, at the meaning. Two, two, two quick, what does this mean for us? And I think there's two quick principles that we can pull. The first is that throughout this chapter, we see that the wise will cultivate resilience. So if you and I are going to face the darkening world with wisdom, we need to cultivate resilience. Resilience. So let's look at verse 32. With flattery he, the king of the north, will corrupt those who act wickedly toward the covenant. But the, but the people, that's us, that's, uh, uh, or the people, the covenant is God's covenant with us. So people who, who act, corrupt, act wickedly toward it are, are going to be corrupted. But people who know their God, those who know their God, will be strong and will take action. And then skipping down to verse 35. <coughs> Some of those who have insight or wisdom or knowledge, they will fail. They will, they will fall, so that they may be refined, purified, and cleansed until the time of the end. In other words, as our world darkens, and God's people will increasingly need to be marked by strength, endurance, toughness, and resilience. Right, so the question is, I'm like we're under no pretenses that we're persecuted people or anything like that. But at the same time, we need to continually be asking ourselves, one, is the reason that I'm not experiencing us is probably the number one character quality that our kids will need for, to follow, for following Jesus well in the future. Um, so I want to ask you, what kind of questions are you having around the dinner table? What kind of conversations are you starting with your kids around the dinner table and in the, in the living room? What does it look like for you to cultivate resilience in your kids in the next generation? I think it begins by simply casting a vision for what this means to follow Jesus. That by definition, we won't be popular. By definition, we will live strange and weird and odd lives to the world around us. Uh, by definition, we're going to live in contrast to the mass delusion of our world. That's just who we are. We live in a soft, vanilla world raising a soft generation. And as Christian parents, we can buck the trend, buck the tide of that trend uh, by, by, by cultivating at an early age the idea of re the quality of resilience in our kid, kids. Okay, 
So that's the first thing, cultivate resilience. Secondly, the wise will cling to hope. The wise will cling to hope. Let's, let's poke our head, poke our nose into the, last, the first couple verses of chapter 12. First couple verses of chapter 12. This is what we see, and this is how this vision kind of ends. There will be a time of distress such as never occurred since the nations came into being until that time. But at that time, all your people, this is all the people of God, all Daniel's people, who are found written in the book will escape, will be delivered. Many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life and some to disgrace and eternal contempt. Those who have insight, those who have wisdom, those who have knowledge will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens. And those who, who, uh, and, and those who lead many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. So Daniel is told that it's going to get a whole lot worse before it gets any better, but it will get better. Russell Moore, a pastor, a theologian, he said this, that Christians need to be short-term. This seems to have overwhelmed us. We will rise again. Jesus has conquered every force of darkness so we can be buoyed by the hope of the only wise king who was resilient to the point of death for your sake and for my sake. Let me pray for us.